Well, good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. You know, I've heard that it's said that all history is God's history. It's his story. All history is his story. And, you know, when you consider just the way God has interacted from the very beginning, from the time when he created man, to the time when man fell, to the time when God redeems man to himself. It's all about what God is doing in the world. And, you know, as I look around today and I see so much craziness going on in the world right now, uh, I have to ask myself, what is God doing in history right now? What is he doing in our generation? Because, you know, God is working in every generation to draw people to himself. He wants to reconcile this world to himself through Christ. But what's our piece of that? What, why are we here on the planet for such a time as this? And I believe that as we look at Matthew chapter 9 today, the last seven verses, I believe we get a clue as to what God's heart is for our generation right now. And so I hope you'll join me as we get into the word. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon-possessed. Now here was a man who was demon-possessed, and the demon kept him from speaking. And so as they brought this man to Jesus, uh, Jesus delivered him, and so that he was able to speak. Now, I don't believe personally that Christians can be demon-possessed, okay? I believe because the Bible tells us very clearly that when we believe in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, and there's no way the Holy Spirit is going to let some demon cohabit the same house as him, okay? But I do believe that what can and does happen is that because we are in a spiritual battle, we're in spiritual warfare, that that demons can oppress Christians. They can lie to us. They can fill us with fear. They can influence our thinking. And so that happens, okay? But here in this situation, here's a, a man who was mute because he was possessed by a demon, but as soon as Jesus delivered him from the demon, guess what? He was able to speak freely. And you know what? I think that there's a lesson in here for us in that that God wants us to be able to speak freely. He wants, Jesus wants to free us up to be able to share what he has done for us. And that's exactly what happened here. When the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. Now, I don't know what it was that he said, but imagine if you could not speak for who knows how long, maybe all of his life, maybe several years, we don't know. But imagine that suddenly you you could not speak. Suddenly, you can speak. What would you say? I, I wonder what he said. I think perhaps maybe he was saying, you know, praise God, you know, or he was saying, look what Jesus did for me. I couldn't speak. I had this demon living inside of me, but now I can, I can speak, you know. And here's the thing is that wherever you're at, God wants to free you up to be able to speak for him. God wants to change your life as he did this mute. He wants to change your life and free you up so that you can give praises and thanksgiving to God so that you can be a, a witness and testify what it is that God has done in your life. I believe that we're all called to that. That's why God takes us from whatever, wherever he finds us, 
whatever sin we've been involved in, and he takes us out of the pit, and he cleans us up, and he gives to us now a testimony of what Jesus has done for us. And that's really what happened here. And that is so essential. Because without that testimony, without us speaking, you know, I think one of the things that the the devil really does do is clam Christians up. He gets us to be afraid. Maybe we don't believe. Maybe we're afraid that, well, if I open my mouth, you know, somebody's going to reject me. They're not going to like me. And, and, you know, but the problem is, is that people come to know Jesus because of your testimony, because of my testimony. And, and that's what Paul said in Romans 10, 14. He said, well, how can they, uh, how shall they uh, call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now, when I first read this verse years ago, I was just thinking, okay, well, Paul's talking about, you know, some missionary, some preacher like him going out into into new places and preaching. Well, he is talking about that, but not just about that. See, the thing is, is that God wants to use each of us to be able to open our mouth for Jesus in whatever field of life that we find ourselves in. You don't have to be like just a specialized preacher to do that. It's just a matter of sharing what God has done in your life with other people. And that's what God uses uh, as we share that to bring people to himself, to show people that he's alive, that he's actually working in people's lives, that he's changing them, he's transforming them as you share that. So that's what I think is interesting here about what happened to this man? Now, Jesus said, you know, you know, you don't have to do this by yourself, by the way. It's not like uh, the Lord expects you. I mean, I, I grew up and, and I had so much pressure when I was growing up in, in church. Like, well, you need to get out and witness. You know, I was like, I don't know how to witness. And then it was just like God began to show me, look, you just need to love me, trust me, and let me speak through you. And that's what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 26. He said, look, when the helper, the Holy Spirit comes from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. And so when I began to discover that, that you know, the Holy Spirit is in me, And all I have to do is just share what I know about Jesus, what I know what he's done in my life. And as the Holy Spirit testifies to people, I testify. And that's the way that God brings people to know him. Well, after this happened, it says in verse 33 that the multitudes marveled, saying it was never seen like this in Israel. I mean, they knew this guy. They knew he was probably They probably knew he was demon-possessed. They definitely knew that he couldn't speak. And suddenly, he's able to start talking, you know, and they're going, whoa, we haven't seen anything like this before. And that would be the natural reaction if you saw a miracle like that. But um, we see here that the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. Okay, now, wait a minute. What is wrong with that picture? This is just like 
an outrageous thing to say. Why would you even think to say something like that? That Jesus has just cast out a demon and they say, well, he's doing that by the power of Satan, basically. And, and so what we see here is what was happening in the hearts of the Pharisees is that they didn't like Jesus. And this goes back to earlier in the chapter, the beginning of chapter 9, where Jesus said to the paralytic that you know, his four friends brought him to Jesus, and Jesus said, you know, your, your sins are forgiven. And then the scribes began to say in their heart, this man is blaspheming. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. And so that's where they began to, uh, you know, have controversy against Jesus. This conflict began. Of course, Jesus said, look, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or, or rise up and walk. And he, so he says, so you, can, you know that I have authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, go ahead, rise up and walk. And he got up, took his bed, he went home. And everybody was marveling at that. But what the Pharisees didn't want to acknowledge was the truth that Jesus was the Christ. He was powerful and they were envious of what he was doing. And so therefore they rejected him. Not only did they reject him, but they said, you know, this guy's got a demon himself. And that's what he, they would later say that, you know, that Jesus was possessed. And, and of course, Jesus would deal with that late, a little later on and say, look, that's just bad logic. It doesn't work that way. Satan's not going to cast out Satan. But we see here that, the, that this conflict was brewing from the Pharisees at this point. Now, Jesus then went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. You know, just this morning, I got uh, an email from somebody, somebody that's in prison right now, and it was actually an email from this person's mother. And she was emailing me on behalf of her son, and the question was this. Uh, he said, look, I'm in prison and, you know, I'm trying to live for Jesus here in prison. And this guy told me that I need to basically be praying all day. Just all day I need to be praying and not be around other people. You know, is, is that right? You know, is that what I need to do? You know, and so I, I emailed him back and said, no, that's not what you need to do. I said, it's right to pray, but look at Jesus. What was his model? I mean, he would get up early in the morning. He would pray. He would be with the Father. But look at all the stuff that he was doing with people. And here we see that his ministry was all about people showing us practically what we must do to love our neighbor as ourselves. And these were practical things. But here was the, the threefold ministry of Jesus. First off, it says that he was teaching in their synagogues. That means he was going into the synagogues and he was teaching the word of God. He was giving sense to the scriptures, applying it to life. That's what we do here on Sunday mornings. That's what we, we seek to do in our Bible studies. And, and honestly, I believe that the greatest need in the church is for churches to have pulpits that are filled with preachers, teachers that are sharing the word of God, that are just giving the sense to the scripture because the scripture is powerful. That's what we're told in Hebrews 4.12. The Bible says that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
You know, I love the fact that the word is alive, that the Holy Spirit gives life to the word. And if we are just faithful to simply teach the word simply, God will do the work through his word. The power is in the scripture to transform lives. And that's why Jesus spent so much time just simply teaching the word of God. Secondly, it says that that he preached the gospel of the kingdom. This is the second part of what Jesus did. What is that? The gospel of the kingdom is the good news that we can be forgiven, that God through Jesus Christ desires to reconcile sinful man to himself. When we turn from our sins, when we believe in Jesus Christ, that's the gospel of the kingdom. And I I try to just share that uh, every message because I don't want anybody listening to one of my messages and not knowing what they have to do to be saved. That's the most important thing. That's why we're here on the planet is ultimately to make a decision for Christ so that our names are written in heaven. And so Jesus was preaching the gospel uh, of the kingdom. And then the third thing that he was doing, his ministry was full of it. He was healing people, uh, healing people of all kinds of diseases. He was, and, and part of that is the casting out of demons, just healing them in body, mind, and spirit. And I think, wow, what, a, what an opportunity there is right now for the church to believe God for the gifts of healing. You know, Jesus said that these signs will follow those who believe, that they will lay their hands on the sick and they'll be healed. I think one of the problems right now with this coronavirus pandemic is that with all of the social isolation, the people that need to be praying for other people can't get to them, you see? I'm just praying that that changes so that many people that are sick will know the healing touch of God. Uh, through people who are faithfully praying for them. And I'm praying, honestly, for our healthcare workers that many of them who are believers will take the time to pray with uh, those that, that are there that they're caring for, maybe even share their testimony with them so that they're ready to meet God no matter what happens, but certainly that they might be healed. This is something that Jesus did, and he, he wants his church to be involved in that as well. So when he saw then the multitudes, verse 36, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Okay, now Jesus had a phenomenal ministry right now. I mean, think about it. If he just wanted to just sort of kick back, rest on his laurels, uh, you know, he could have done that. Things are going well. People were listening to him. They were believing in him. People are getting healed. Demons are being cast out. I mean, this is a pretty happening ministry. He could have been very happy with that, but he wasn't. He wasn't because as he looked out, he saw the multitudes. And he realized that there are so many more people out there that don't know me, that are not ready to meet God. And, and so it says that he was moved with compassion for them. Now, this word, compassion, uh, the, the Greek word that's translated compassion is splangnizome, something like that. I can't, splangnizome, okay? That's about the best I can do. I'm not a Greek scholar. <laughs> I'll tell you, though, it's a weird word, okay? And what does it mean? The, the word means uh, to be moved as to one's bowels, okay? Get this. 
the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. What this word is describing is the deepest sort of emotional moving of your heart and mind and emotions and feelings that you can experience. And what I like is what somebody said, I think it was a Sunday school thing, that it's, it's your pain in my heart. Your pain in my heart. It's the feeling of someone else's pain in my heart. The Latin word that we use for compassion actually comes from two Latin words. It means to suffer with. Jesus didn't, didn't just look at the multitudes as some great mass of humanity as we might look at them. You see, Jesus being God knew each one. He knew each person's name. He knew what they were going through. He knew the sins they struggled with. He knew their background. He knew their needs. It wasn't just a mass of humanity for him. He understood who these people were and his heart was moved with compassion for where they were at. And why? Because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Notice here, it says here that they were weary, they were scattered, and they were like sheep having no shepherd. Huh. I wonder, do I look at people like that? Do I really see them as being weary and scattered and lost like sheep without a shepherd? You see, as I look around today, there's a lot of people that would fall in this category. There's a lot of people that, you know, look at it. They're, they're weary. Think about all these people that are working on the front lines right now that are just burning out trying to save people's lives. Think about the people that are trying to stock shelves in the grocery store just to keep, you know, enough toilet paper on the shelves. Good luck. Think about all of this that people, and then there's other people that they're just sitting at home, but there's a lot of people that are just, they're weary, they're burned out. But if it wasn't just this, there are people that are just weary of life. And they don't, they're just at the end of their rope. Then you have the people that are just scattered, as Jesus said here. What is it? That, what are these people? The, the enemy of their souls has scattered them, has driven them away from God, has driven them away from people that care about them. They're just wandering, scattered out there, uh, driven, be, driven away really because of their own selfishness. They don't stay with their families. They're not staying home. They're being driven away and ultimately by the devil. But they don't realize it. It's just their own selfishness that they're following. But they're scattered. Then there are those who just simply have no shepherd. You know, if, if you don't know Jesus personally, then, then you're missing out on the best part of life because you're missing out on the shepherd who loves you the most. The Bible says that we're sheep. We're all like sheep that have gone astray. But God has placed upon Jesus the sins of us all. But we have to come to him and acknowledge him as our shepherd. We have to receive him as our shepherd. But you know what happens to sheep when they don't have a shepherd? Do you know what happens to sheep that have no shepherd? They become lion chow. That's exactly what happens to sheep who have no shepherd. And that's exactly what Peter tells us uh, in, in in 1 Peter 5, 8, he said, Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
And that's what happens to people that have no shepherd. So Jesus looks at the multitudes. He sees them. His heart is moved with compassion. And then he turns to his disciples. And he says, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he's looking around. He said, now, you know, I grew up in California, okay? I know that's a bad word to some people, but it's the truth. So, and there in California, it was very, I was very close in Sacramento to the San Joaquin Valley, which is like the breadbasket of California, right? Most of the crops are produced there in the San, jo- San Joaquin Valley. Uh, but, you, but back in the day, before they had all of the, you know, automated harvesting machines and all of that kind of stuff, you know, when it was harvest time, guess what? You would hire every worker you could find. And you would get them out there to work those fields when the crops were ripe because you knew as a farmer, if you didn't get out there and get all those crops, guess what? It's all going to go to waste. And so every hand on deck was out there harvesting the field. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, see this harvest? It's plentiful. There's a bumper crop out here. It's ready to be reaped. But... The workers, the laborers are few. At another time, he said in John 4, 35 to his disciples, he said, do you still, do you say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? But behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Now is the time. And I believe that this is what God is doing right now. I believe that all of this that's happening in the world right now could be the very preparation for the greatest harvest that we have ever seen. I'm really praying for that. I heard one pastor say that that he is praying that 2020 is not remembered for the year of the coronavirus, but the year that the greatest harvest known that we've ever seen began. Uh, Could that happen? Listen, that's God's heart. That is God's heart. Just as he looked out back then and saw the multitudes as sheep without a shepherd. Think about the multitudes, the millions and the billions that are dying apart from Christ right now. And they'll go into an abyss of eternity. Don't you think that the Lord wants to bring forth a great harvest in our day? I absolutely believe that. That's why I'm here. (laughs) I believe that that is the Lord's heart and he wants to use each one of us to do it. So, What did Jesus say? Now, I'll tell you what. If I were Jesus and I was telling my disciples, look, there's a plentiful harvest out there. And, you know, what would I say? I would say, so get to work, guys. Get out there. Come on, let's do it. But that's not what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What did Jesus say? He said, you guys, you need to pray. You need to pray that the Lord of the harvest, i.e. God the Father, will send forth, literally thrust forth, laborers into his harvest field. You see, I think Jesus knew something. I think Jesus knew how easily we as people look at something like that, all the multitudes, just the plentiful harvest, and we just throw up our hands and just say, it's way too much. I'm overwhelmed. There's no way. The need is too great. 
And we just sort of, we become so overwhelmed with that that we don't do anything, see? So I, I think Jesus understands that about us. So he said, this is what you do. You pray. See, anybody can pray. I don't care. You can be five years old. In fact, when I'm sick, guess what I want, who I want to pray. I want to have my grandsons <laughs> pray for me because they'll pray with faith. They'll just say, Jesus, please heal him. Done. Okay, let's go play with Legos. Uh, you know, that's how kids are. So, you know, um, Jesus knows that anybody can pray. And as we begin to pray, we realize, look, it's not about my strength. It's not about my ability. It's about the God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. It's about his heart, his vision, his plan, his resources, then thrusting those out into the harvest field. And I can be part of that. You can be part of that. We can just engage even in prayer, but we can engage in more than prayer. And I think Jesus knew that. He knew that if we start engaging our heart with God's heart for a harvest that God wants to bring in in these days, then what's going to happen? At some point, we're going to do what Isaiah did, where he said, here I am, Lord, send me. Use me. Make me one of those workers Use me, help me take my testimony, share it with others, help me get involved in, in whatever way I can. You know what? Some of the best workers in the field are not so much vocal, although I think we can all say something, but they are working behind the scenes doing the hard work that nobody sees. And they're part of the harvest. But listen, we're all supposed to be part of the harvest. Everybody that knows Jesus Christ has been called to be part of the harvest. Just like if you were an owner of a field and your son is sleeping on harvest day, guess what? You're going to wake him up and get him out in the field. So the Lord wants us not to be, you know, a lazy worker or a shameful son, but he wants us to be out doing his work. And so... That's where I think we're at today. I think as I look around, you know, I'm not discouraged. I'm praying that this ends swiftly. But honestly, I don't want it to end any quicker than what God ultimately wants to do through it. Because I do believe God is using this to prepare people's hearts. And whatever it is that God is calling you to do, wherever he's brought you from, you know, there's people that you influence that I cannot influence. There's people that need to know that you care about them. They need to know that you love them. They need to hear your story. And my prayer is that the Lord would loose our tongues, <laughs> that he'd fill us with his spirit, that he'd give us those opportunities, that he'd open doors, that he'd put people on our hearts to be praying for. Uh, and then, of course, that we would be praying that he is the Lord of the harvest would send forth the laborers into the harvest field. Listen, if you've never yet met Jesus Christ, if you've never received him as your personal shepherd, let me just tell you that he desires to know you. He desires to save your life from your sins. He desires to write your name in heaven and, and take you to be with him when you ultimately exit this life as we all will. And do you know him today? I'd like to give you that opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior. And if you do know him, I want to pray for you that God would give you opportunities. Would give me, too, opportunities. You know, I'm doing this, but I think about my neighbors. I think about other people that are in my sphere of influence, that, Lord, how can I reach them? 
God wants to use us. I'm going to pray for all of us that the Lord will give us those opportunities, that he'll show us those doors that he wants us to walk through.